Welcome to the We Go There podcast. I'm Lexi. And I'm Nikki. And our favorite conversations are when someone starts by saying, this might be TMI, but... Exactly. We go there. Because no topic should be too taboo, especially when it comes to women's health. We ask the questions you may be too afraid to ask and interview the experts to get the answers you need. So we're doing this completely unfiltered. 100%. Okay, let's go there. Okay, we are so excited today to have the amazing Liesl from Mommy Labor Nurse. So we are going to dive right in. Liesl, you are an absolute wealth of information. And right before we started recording, we had assumed that you were just doing like online stuff and like (laughs) doing your courses. And needless to say, we found out you're actually still delivering babies. You were just delivering a baby last weekend. So I was, I was, (laughs) yes, yes, that is me. I'm still at the bedside and I, like we were talking before, I don't plan on leaving any, anytime soon. So, um, it's kind of nice because I, I feel like I balance it pretty well. I do mommy labor nurse stuff pretty much full time during the week. And then on the weekends, um, every other weekend I'll pick up a shift and then every once in a while I'll be there during the week too. But I kind of, kind of pop in there and still have my bedside care and still keeps me grounded. I think like I had a patient last week who it was, I mean, it was so great. Like she went unmedicated and I just, when I have a, it was her first baby and she really wanted to go unmedicated and just felt like I really supported her well. And it just kind of reminds you that like, I'm doing so many great things with birth, birth education, but like, it brings you back to the bedside and it's, it's just really cool to act, to be able to support people in that way still too. So it's Amazing. fun. So <laughs> do it all. And you're a mama, you run my yeah. Yeah. You, you're literally <laughs> juggling it all. And that, that woman that you supported, she hit the jackpot. We're going to talk she, about nurses she, and how yeah. they, <laughs> she, she, did. Did she did great. She did great. Yeah. She didn't know. I mean, it's, it's funny. People ask me too, like, do people know who you are? Like when you at, walk in the room, some, some people do, um, because most like the practice that I go to is the same practice that delivers at my hospital. So a lot of the patients that go to that practice, follow me from like all the doctors that I work with, like, they're always like, go follow mommy labor. So a lot of their Aww. patients know me. Um, but this, this patient was from a different practice. And I mean, she could have known who I was, but we didn't, I don't, I'm never like, Hey, I'm mommy yeah. labor nurse. <laughs> you know, walk like around. if it comes up, it comes up, but yeah. Your scrubs have like mommy labor right. nurse on the walk <laughs> right. on the back. Right. I it's mean, on my badge. <laughs> it's not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. <laughs> Well, we're so excited to have you today. And um, we have so much to cover. uh, But I think like, we just got to get right to it. I'm sure one of the most common questions that you get asked, and one of the things we definitely want to talk about with you today is um, pooping, pushing poop. Um, How common is it? What's the deal? And how do you deal with it? And, and especially moms to be like, I think everyone's scared about pooping when they push. I know I'm trying to remember before I was a labor and delivery nurse. I remember having this fear myself and I was not a mom or anything before, you know, before I was a nurse. So I remember what it was like to be afraid of that. And now having seen a lot of people you know, poop during delivery and just talking about it so much. It's like, why are people still afraid of this? But it makes sense. I mean, it's, you know, something that is private and you think that you're, you know, it sounds crazy to just, you know, you're going to poop while you're 
some, you know, sitting in the bed or in the bathtub or somewhere. Um, so going back to your question about like how many people poop, I would say just from this is, you know, not evidence-based, but just from, uh, my own, like knowing of how many people that I've taken care of, I would say probably about three to four or two to three out of every, you know, patient I have poops at least a little bit. And what I usually tell people is it's not, it's, it's not what you think. It's not like, you know, you're pooping like a whole poop out on the bed. Okay. (laughs) I mean, some people do, you know, like a small percentage of people do it's all, you know, it's like a lot, but usually the majority of people, it's just that little bit that's still in there. Because if you think about your anatomy and where your rectum is and where your vagina is, they're right next to each other. And that baby head is right inside sitting at the top of your vagina coming out. So what I tell people is it just, you know, think about physics or whatever you want to call it. Like (laughs) they're right next to each other and one is pushing up against the other and you know, whatever's come, whatever's in your rectum has to, has to come out. So it's usually just kind of a little bit that comes out. If you do poop, um, the way that we handle it is I get rid of it as quickly as I possibly can. I kind of read the room too. Some people are very open and want to talk about it and are like, ha ha, you know, very, you know, like we're making jokes about it. And if I get that vibe, then I go that route. If it's a, you know, a different vibe and I'm just trying to like hide it and get rid of it as quickly as I possibly can, then I go that route. But usually it's, you know, I can read the room pretty well. And I'm usually the one where I'm, you know, you're just pushing and then you just kind of get rid of it and you put, toss it in the trash. You don't really even say anything about it unless, you know, they bring it up and it's, it's really no big deal. I haven't had anybody, um, uh, this, this is also something I tell people is if you're concerned about pooping, you know, in front of your significant other, I've never had anybody get divorced or break up (laughs) after, (laughs) after, um, you give birth because you pooped in front of them. It's just, it's right. never happened. So don't worry about that. I know it might be a little bit embarrassing at the time, but it's just part of the process. And it actually means that you're usually pushing in the right spot and things are going the right way, you know, the way that they need to. So it's just, you know, it's a bodily function. It happens. I've seen a lot of people poop and it just doesn't phase me at all. So that there's my answer. <laughs> I love it. I, Kate, you had said two to three out of every patient. Is that two to three out of five, two to three out of 10? Okay. Sorry. I didn't say that right. Two thirds or three fourths of patients. Oh, so 60, like up to 75%. 60 to, yeah. 60 to 75%. Wow. I would say most people do. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people don't go. even, and a lot of people don't even realize that they do. I mean, right. a lot of people are like, they, you know, it feels the same. So it's like, did I, did I poop or did I not? And so a lot of people just don't even realize there's, there's a little bit coming out. And it's just like a quick cleanup. I feel like so quick. That must've happened. And I just didn't know. And I actually, I don't know. I I don't want to know. It's okay. I don't, I don't, I genuinely do not know if I pooped like the, with both of my deliveries. Don't know. I feel like I did, but I, I really don't know. <laughs> I mean, out of the three of us, odds are one right? of us definitely did. <laughs> two of us did. Or two of us, two of us did. Yeah. At least. <laughs> at way least, to put it. At least. 75% of y'all are going to poop when you, when you push that baby out. There you and go. And it means you're doing it right. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Totally. I love that. Okay. Well, thank you for clarifying that hot hot and burning questions. Happy to. <laughs> um, so let's dive into epidurals if you don't mind. So it was interesting. We, 
I don't know why I never talked to Lexi about this, but you know, she has two kids, a one and three-year-old. I have two kids and neither of us have ever had an epidural. And then you came on this call and you were like, I haven't had one either. So I think that's really interesting because the rates of epidurals are actually quite high. You can tell, maybe you can talk about that. Yeah. I don't have a specific stat in front of me, but I think it's somewhere it's in our courses. It's somewhere around 60 to 70, maybe 70% in the United States, at least, um, that people do choose epidurals during labor. If they, if they work, you know, epidurals work great. They do come with some possible side effects, obviously. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, do you want me to talk about why I personally chose not to get an epidural or do you want me to talk about like all of it. That's okay. All of it. Okay. All of so it. personally, I chose not to get an epidural with my first one because I was just really fascinated by it. Um, I had been a labor and delivery nurse for about two years at that point, and I had taken care of, you know, we take care of a bunch of different kinds of patients. And I noticed it, it just, I was always, I mean, fascinated really is the best word to to put it of, I was fascinated with the moms that I would take care of and they would be giving birth for the first or second or, you know, whatever time. And they would, you know, do it without an epidural. And then they, a lot, I mean, you know, most of them would just feel so great afterward. It's like, I saw the transition from super, super crazy, crazy pain. And then like immense joy. And not to say that moms who have epidurals, don't experience joy after they, after they give birth, of course they do, but it was just that huge shift that I was just so fascinated about. And I just genuinely was interested to see if I could do it. Um, so when I was pregnant with my first one, I started just, you know, doing the same advice that I, that I give all my patients. I started listening to birth stories and started to talk to other people who had given birth without epidurals. Um, and just, you know, got even more interested in it. And I really went into my birth with an open mind, knowing that I, I wanted to try and go without an epidural, but I knew I had that option. Um, and I personally, with my first one, I labored, I had a long, you know, early labor, about 12 or 14 hours just at home, um, got to the hospital and then about six hours later delivered, pushed for about 30 minutes. It was a very, you know, great, like first labor experience, um, had really, really terrible back labor. So that was, that was really, really rough. Um, but the other reason that I chose to not get an epidural with my first one was because my mom had a C-section with me for a failure to progress. So I knew that in the back of my head, um, that, you know, I don't have the exact same anatomy, like body type as my mom, but I knew I had that history that my mom had, you know, tried to give birth with, she tried to give birth with an epidural with me. And, you know, eventually got an epidural and pushed for two or three hours and then had a C-section, um, V backed with my sister, like pushed her out, like no big deal, like was in labor for four hours. So I'm thinking, you know, maybe I, maybe it's not a pelvis, you know, shape kind of thing. So I knew I had that history with my mom. And so I, yeah, I just kind of wanted to give it a shot and tried to go into my own labor you know, without like the least amount of interventions that I possibly could to see, to give myself, you know, the best possible chance at having a vaginal birth. Um, and knowing obviously that if I did have a C-section, it would be fine and I would recover fine, but, you know, knowing all of these things and, and knowing like the type of types of patients that I take care of and the trends that we see 
where people get, you know, I can't say on this podcast, epidurals are linked, you know, to C-sections, but epidurals are, you know, there are certain things that you, interventions that you have to have with an epidural, like fetal monitoring, which fetal monitoring has been linked to an increase in C-section. So it's like A doesn't equal A plus B. I don't even, I don't know how to say that analogy. A plus B doesn't equal C, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, you can't, you can't link epidural and C-section, but like you can link epidural and, and fetal monitoring and fetal monitoring we know has been shown to increase C-section. So it's like, it's a little bit of a gray area. Um, same thing goes, you know, for inductions. And we'll, I know we'll talk about more inductions. Yeah. We want to talk about that for sure. Yeah. There's so many things to go into here. And I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm loving hearing your story because I think that a lot of people that, and you know, we have similar clients and teaching, I teach the fitness aspect, the prenatal yeah. bodies. A lot of them are, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of people who are obviously afraid that they won't be able to cope with pain. And, and, yes. you know, th- there's, th- that's a big fear too. And it's like, you know, I, I remember being pregnant myself with my first, and I remember someone saying, and I hated this question, Nikki, are you going to go natural? Mm-hmm. And I remember just being like, Oh, like, I just was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, yeah. I have no idea what's going to happen. I'm yeah. going to, just let's just roll with it here and like see what happens. And I'm just going to try to manage it as best I can. And if I want to have pain medication, then I'm going to take that pain medication, but I'm going in to see how long essentially I can, how far I can get without really wanting it. But I remember like a student of mine who, you know, had three kids and had had them all unmedicated. And she was like, Oh my God, Nikki, like you're tough enough. You're strong enough. And I, all I felt was pressure. Mm. I didn't feel encouragement. All I felt Mm. was like this pressure. And so there's, there seems to be like a lot of a loaded, this seems to be a loaded conversation because some people are like, well, you're, I don't want anyone listening to this to think that we're saying that epidurals are bad or that like, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just, I think you're just giving information, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. And a a lot of people go into it with the view of, Hey, I I don't want to have anything to do with, um, on that unmedicated sense. Like I know what this epidural is. And I know the, we talk about informed consent too. I know the possible side effects that come with it. I know, you know, that this will happen, but I want to, um, have a, have a birth with an epidural. Cause that is, that sounds great. Um, so yeah, it definitely epidurals are not bad. I mean, we would not be giving 70% of our patients in labor, uh, epidurals if they were bad. Um, like I said, they come with possible side effects, but every medication that you take comes with possible, you know, a list of side effects on, on the side of, you know, on the label. Um, and a, a lot of times what I see with patients with, who have epidurals is sometimes they are able to be a little bit more present too in their delivery. So I'm not going to say that I wasn't, I wasn't present, but especially, I mean, you guys probably know in the transition, you go a little bonkers. Um, and it, it's, you go a little bonkers (laughs) and everybody else in the room sometimes is a little bit more like my husband was very stressed out when I was trying to deliver my first baby. My second one, he was a little, he was like, okay, I've done this before. I can kind of, you know, read the room, um, kind of thing, but he was a little stressed out. Um, so an epidural, 
it's a little, it's usually if everything goes well and your epidural is working really well, it's a little bit more chill. We can kind of relax and you can carry on a conversation and, and not to say that you can't do that, you know, when you go on medicated, but it's a little bit, it's a little bit harder. Um, so yeah, definitely not bad, but I think it's, you know, it's an option that a lot of people choose and there's, I mean, I don't think there's a stigma around it, but maybe there is somewhat of a stigma around there's a stigma around going natural oh, and unmedicated yeah. deliveries. I mean, there's stigmas like in all aspects of birth. I feel like, I mean, we can yeah. go on about everything, right? It's true though. It's, it's, it's really on both sides. Cause like Nikki yeah. said, it's like, uh, you know, when people hear that I had two unmedicated, um, births and, and my first I was induced and they're like, you're a beast. Like that's insane. Like kind of thing. And I went into the same, like with the same mindset as both of you yeah. of, I'm just going to see how this goes. And like, if I can make it and, and if my, to my midwife, I was like, if you can give me some like goalposts along the way to know, uh, you know, am I, am I close or not then maybe. And, and if I ask for it, like, give me it yeah, <laughs> kind of thing. But, um, it's, it's true. The, the room, I mean, especially with my verse Piper, where I was induced, like Adam's like, it was just animalistic. It is. It is. <laughs> it's just which like, is, which is wonderful. I mean, it like, it's crazy that women are able to do that. Right. But it is like, uh, it's, it's scary for, for someone. I, and this is what I teach in my, in my courses, um, is make sure you tell your partner or significant other, whoever is there to support you. If you do plan on going unmedicated, um, it's, it can be very, very difficult to see a loved one yes. go through that. It can be very like, empowering. And like, I mean, my husband was like, you are such a bad, you know, like that you, but I mean, during he was, he's like, they feel so helpless, like really helpless. Right. And it's, um, yeah. Although my husband, I was telling Nikki, um, ordered freshie, um, which is where he works, um, to the labor and delivery, like ward or whatever, because Uh the floor, because he wanted to, um, oh, you'll really appreciate this. He thought that if he ordered, um, freshie for everyone, the nurses that we'd have a better chance of getting a private room. (laughs) No, (laughs) no, exactly. No. And so the entire time, so I was induced and then, and, and Piper wasn't dropping. And so there were all the discussions going on, which you'd be so familiar with of potential C-section and, and all of these conversations. Um, And then she, I went from like two centimeters to nine in 40 minutes. But in the meantime, my midwife was like, I think we should get you an epidural. Like this is going to be a a while. Um, So we ordered it, ordered it up. So I was like, okay, this wasn't exactly what I wanted, but I'm, I'm in for it. Like, this is ridiculous. Um, I was in obviously a lot of pain and, uh, and every like two minutes, there's a knock on the door, but it's like the nursing staff, like either thanking for the freshie that was delivered or letting us know, like, are you sure you don't want something? And every time I'm thinking it's my epidural coming knocking and then all of a sudden it comes knocking and classic. They're like, and you're ready to push. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like, what? what? Because once you're told you're getting it, I I, I was like, okay, I'm getting it. Like if Mm -hmm. I'm getting it it right now, every contraction is like, just not okay. Yes. And that is something to definitely keep in mind too. If you plan on getting an epidural, it's not super great to get to that point where you're like, I can't possibly do this anymore because it is a process. And sometimes, you know, depending on where you deliver at my hospital, it's usually fairly quick, but it's still a good 20, 30 minutes. It's not like, you know, even a 
a, a vial of IV pain medication that I can give you really, really quick. I have to gather supplies. I have to right. give you some IV fluid. We have to make sure your blood counts. Okay. I have to make, make sure anesthesia is available to come up. They have to interview about things about the procedure. They have to, you know, assess you when they get up there, they have to set it's, it's a whole process. Um, and then at other hospitals, you know, some hospitals anesthesia isn't even in-house, so they have to call them from home and then it's even longer. So oh, wow. you have to kind of take all of these things into, into account. There's a lot to know. There's a lot to know. And, and I, I think one of the things that we do know is that when you are induced, mm-hmm. there can be a lot more intensity with the contractions and pain. So that's when, when Lexi told me that she had been induced and still didn't get an, I was like, wow, like it's harder. Cause then you were saying, Lexi, you did not get induced with your second and you found that the contractions were easier to manage. Correct. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was literally night and day. Like I yeah. realized, and even Adam, obviously in that helplessness and things like that, he was like, oh, okay. So that was, that was a nicer experience. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm glad it was good for you. How fast did you entertainment value? How fast did you go with your second one? If you two hours, wow! I was it was really fast. Um, Wow! Yeah, and and Piper even was like I think five five hours. Like it was quite. They were both really really fast, but the intensity for sure. I mean, with the first, I I was like throwing up. Like it was the whole deal. It was really really unbearable. And um, with Clark, it was like you had like, and I think it was the compounded contractions that I had with Piper. I didn't have a break at all. Mm-hmm. So you didn't have that like downtime where you can kind of like, just even for a second, like regroup and then be like preparing yourself for the next. Yeah. Um, which also I think in coaching one's significant other, I kept telling Adam, I'm like, for some reason you asked me a question always when I'm having a contraction, maybe wait till that <laughs> moment that I'm, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> having a breath and then I get it usually tell when they're in between. Yeah. 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 Like, do we need to go now? I'm like, mm, yeah. 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 Well, my husband barfed two times, so it's okay. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, that's right. Nikki. Matt couldn't, he was like, and then I didn't find out until after, cause he would like run out of the room and be like, where'd Matt go? And then later I found out he was, he was puking his guts out cause he was so anxious. So that there's also that, (laughs) but anyways, let's talk about it. Let's talk about inductions. Um, and, and we, I had mentioned something called the arrive study, Mm -hmm. which was again, a study regarding whether or not having, uh, an early induction at around 39 weeks, whether it increases your risk of cesarean birth or not. And you mentioned that part of that study was done at your hospital. Yes. While I was still there, well, I'm still there, but while I was there, I started working there in, now I'm going to have to do math in 2000. What year did I get married? 2014. Yeah. I think I think I started working there in 2014 and it was still, still being completed then. I can't, I'd have to look up ACOG, but I don't remember when the last you know, when it, when it finalized, but it was definitely still being done at my hospital while I was there. Um, we have a pretty, a pretty large, um, teaching hospital. So I think, you know, that's why they, they chose it. They chose my hospital. Um, so yeah, the arrive study is interesting though. And the arrive study comes up a lot when we talk about inductions, obviously, because now that we have the arrive study, you know, it's this huge study that was done that actually showed, like you said, that inductions at 30 elective inductions at 39 weeks, um, can actually, you know, possibly decrease your risk of 
having a C-section. I think it was 22% to 19% or 22, I have it written down somewhere, 22%, it, it 18.6% versus 22.2%. Um, so 18.6%, like that's your rate of possibly having a C-section if you were induced, electively induced at 39 weeks versus the expected management group was 22.2%. So I think it's interesting to bring that up and first of all, recognize that statistic compared to the national average of cesareans in the United States. Okay. So the national average is somewhere around 30%. It, it's changing, um, but it's somewhere around 30 to 32%. So when we look at 18.6% versus 22.2%, that's like a pretty big difference from the national average. Okay. And then when you, I'm, I'm biased because I'm at this hospital. When I look at my hospital, our C-section rate is one of the lowest in the country. It's like seventh or something. Um, and if we have like a 14 point something rate, which is great. Um, but they chose, you know, our hospital, cause we have a very, very low C-section rate. Um, I don't know. I can't, I don't know what the list is of all the hospitals that they chose. Um, but it's, it's interesting to see the, the difference there because you start to think, I'm not saying that data was like falsified or anything, but naturally when like, this is just a natural thing that people, you know, that happens in studies is when you're looking at something, sometimes you're more likely to do it better. Okay. So if this provider knows this patient is enrolled in the arrive study, um, there might be some talk of like, well, let's not do this intervention. Let's do this intervention instead. So it's like, and I'm not saying that, that, that definitely happened. Um, I can't go on the record and say like, I worked, you know, this, this provider like did this, I, I know this, blah, 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 blah. But I mean, we can kind of draw conclusions from those statistics thinking like, why are those so much lower than the national average? Like, why isn't it somewhere around, like, if you were going to say, yes, it's definitely lower, that's fine. But why are the percentages 18.6% versus 22.2%? Why aren't they closer to the national average? Like what hospitals were you at? And it's like, oh, you were definitely at one my hospital, which has a very, very low, low C-section rate. So that's one thing that I have to say about the ARRIVE study. First off, like, mm, okay. And then the other thing I tell people is, okay, we look at the ARRIVE study, we see that the data did show, yes, there was a, you know, a slight difference. And now that we have this data, it's like, I mean, so like thousands of women that they, it, it wasn't like a super small study. So that's, you know, not nothing. Um, so when we look at that, really what I tell people is, you now kind of have this choice of we're not saying the arrive study is not like a stamp of saying we need to now induce every single person at 39 weeks because we now see that you have a lower chance of having a C-section. No, all it's saying is, okay, we see this. It's possible you now kind of have this choice with your provider and say, okay, this is something that you know, your provider is saying, this is something that we've seen. This is now a possible option. You definitely don't have to be induced at 39 weeks, but it's an option. So like, how are you feeling? This is what my providers counsel our patients on. They're definitely not like push, push induction at 39 weeks, unless mom 
is like, you know, first done or, you know, for some reason brings it up that usually, usually it's more the patient brings it up and the provider counsels. Okay. That's not exactly what the patient's usually like, well, now, you know, we can get induced at 39 weeks and, and the provider's like this, I'm just talking about my providers, mm -hmm. but my provider's like, yes, but that doesn't mean you have to be induced at 39, 39 weeks. Like you can, you know, still wait. There's it's, that's not like a hard stamp. I mean, ACOG, it, it takes a lot to change what ACOG absolutely says, you know, bullet, like, this is what we do at 39 weeks. Like I can't, even for that large of a study, that's not going to sway them to say absolutely 100%, 100% of people, once you hit 39 weeks, like wrap it up in a bow and we're getting induced. <laughs> So it doesn't, it doesn't, well, it's just interesting because I remember reading this study and I, I checked it out on evidence-based birth. It doesn't make sense. If it you doesn't. think about it, it doesn't make sense. Like you're going to be induced. You're going to have less freedom of movement. You're going to have continuous yeah. fetal yeah. monitoring. It would make the C-section rate go up if you look at common sense. I, and yet, I agree. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> so yes, like, I, I, I totally agree. Right. I totally right. agree. And it's interesting because when it came out, I remember we were all like, what? <laughs> like that doesn't make any dang sense. Like what? Right. They're saying that it actually decreases C-sections. Um, and you're so, witnessing them all the time. Like yeah, you're Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm like, I can't remember the last patient that I had that was not that, you know, went into labor on her own and, you know, got, I'm, I can't say that, but went into labor on her own, no interventions, like didn't get an epidural and she wanted to wound up having an unplanned C-section. Like that doesn't happen very often. So you're saying that like, gosh, it's so many of my patients that they get induced, they're a PM induction, they're laboring all day the next day, you know, and then they, you know, just, it's a failure to progress kind of situation. They get, you know, it's an unplanned C-section at the end, or they get to 10 centimeters and they push for a really, really long time. It's like, it's those patients who were plopping on intervention after intervention after intervention, um, which sometimes, you know, I'm not saying that they're doing this on purpose. It's like, okay, by being induced, you automatically need uh, fetal monitoring. And by being induced, like you were talking about Lexi, your contractions a lot of times are stronger. So patients are more likely to get epidurals. And then with an epidural, you have to continue with, you know, fetal monitoring. You can't be moving, you know, around your bed as much. You you know, or, or, you know, you can be right. moving in your bed, but like getting up, like you kind of need to be, um, it's a little bit more limiting, just, you know, we're taking your vital signs a little bit more, it just, it's a different vibe. So it's just, yeah, we were all very, 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 very su surprised with the outcome of the arrived study. I'm not saying it's, you know, complete BS, like, but it's just, I can't, you can't sit here and say, 100% of people, like just because there was that little bit of a percentage difference, 22.2% versus 18.6%, you can't sit here and, and tell me that every single patient at 39 weeks, like their rate of C-section is going to be different. You have to, so you have to look at a lot of different, but patterns. isn't that the case with every study, right? Yes, like the data totally. can be manipulated. And this is the totally. thing that kills me in like 
so many industries, not just in birth, but in fitness and anything where they're like, well, we just, even in like, I don't know, diastasis recti or whatever, they're like, well, we now know that these moves, da, da, da. Like they make these causal statements when you're actually like, well, how many yeah. people were in the study and who was enrolled and what were the variables? Like, right. and it's, and I think it can be overwhelming for, for women to know what to trust and, and sort of, you know, it's sort of like, oh, but I thought it was fine. I even had a physician once reach out to me. She was a, a family doctor herself and she had been induced. And she said to me, and she was upset because her birth didn't go the way she wanted. And she pushed for a really long time, got prolapse, whatever. And she's just, and then ended up with a, a cesarean, but she's like, well, I got induced at 39 weeks because of the arrive study. Yeah. And, and you're sort of like, yeah, you didn't really get the right information, you know, and it can be really hard to navigate that. Mm -hmm. That's totally. really hard totally. for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I was like, should we change topics? There's so much yeah. to discuss. <laughs> so much, but we also have lots more. So, okay. So in talking about this uh, induction, epidurals, natural birth, like unmedicated births, um, there's birth plans. Yeah. Should we go there? Yeah. Okay. How, okay. Let's talk about like, I tell, I tell my students, I'm like, listen, if it's, if it's more than, it's like a resume, if it's more than one page, mm -hmm. no one's going to read it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great advice. So I give that advice, but I also say if it's in a template, which is like ours is, it's okay to be more than one page. Okay. Because <laughs> ours <laughs> is more, have, more like, than one page. Ours is more than one page, but it's like cute. And we have like little blocks and stuff. Um, but yeah, that I give the same advice, honestly, is like if it's paragraphs on paragraphs on paragraphs on paragraphs, um, we might need to revisit some things. So birth plans, we're very pro birth plan at mommy labor nurse birth plans are great, but we're also very pro be flexible and keep an open mind about birth. And I think birth plans can really help with that. Um, so birth plans, nice thing. I like thing I like about birth plans is it gets you thinking about your birth before, you know, you give birth. Okay. And it usually gets you talking to your provider before, you know, you give birth about your birth preferences. And that's the advice that I also give. Hey, if you don't want to complete a birth plan, you don't want to, you know, check boxes or whatever. How about like, let's at least have a conversation with your provider during your prenatal care at some point of like, Hey, this is kind of what I'm planning on doing for my birth. Like, are these options available? Like, let's say I'm going to give a, a silly example, but you know, let's say like, I really want rose petals around my bed when I give birth. Okay. Is that like, wouldn't, that is something that is really, really important to me. Okay. And if I were, if I knew that was really, really important, I would go to my provider and say, Hey, is it like, is that a thing? Like, can I make sure that there are rose petals around my birth? And he would say, yeah, no problem. Like we've had patients do that in the past. No big deal. And then I would get there and everything would be great. But if I just went into it thinking that I really want rose petals around my bed during birth, and then I get there and the nurses are like, we don't really like roses. Sorry. <laughs> like I'm, I know I'm making a joke, but like, sorry, oh, like that's not a thing. I would be like, oh my God, but I planned for these rose petals and I brought everything and blah, 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 blah. Um, and you know, that would kind of set the tone of like, oh, I, I really wanted this to happen. So that's kind of like the example that I give when work, when writing on a birth plan and talking to your provider, it's always a great thing to have this conversation mm -hmm. pre-birth because sometimes when you wind up at the hospital and you haven't talked about this at all, you might be like, 
oh, wait a second, this thing isn't available or like, like the thing, a, a common one now with COVID is we're not doing the nitrous oxide like we were before mm-hmm. COVID. Um, so that's one that we had to, you know, it's in our little template. Like What's the nitric you know, oxide? Gas. Yeah, it's gas and air. So it's just, it's a pain, you know, medication interventions, little mask that you put on your face. Um, kind of similar to if you've been to the dentist and gotten, you know, like laughing gas, it's similar to that. So that's something that we, you know, we're not doing in us hospitals, at least with here either. Here either. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so that that's another, you know, with going back to birth plans, that's what I always tell people is make sure if you're expecting something or you're wanting something, or even if you're not really super strong about something, but you're seeing these things written down on, you know, the birth plan template, let's talk to your provider and just make sure that this is, this is a standard practice and this is available, or this isn't a standard practice, but it is available. I just have to speak up about it. So very pro birth plan. Um, Especially it also, petals. what's that? Yeah. <laughs> If yes. you want rose petals, you better have one. <laughs> yes. You better bring your own rose. Cause we don't, we don't have rose petals, uh, in the supply room at the hospital, but yeah, <laughs> little tip. <laughs> I love it. I could only imagine the rest of that birth plan. If rose petals was on there, you know, I mean, some, you know, sometimes like I, rose petals, rose petals are a little extreme. I mean, I, I love the the lighting options that some people bring in. I don't think that's crazy. Like sometimes yeah. people bring in little like the of the fake candles that you can yep. get on Amazon. And I love those. Like it just makes the ambience like so nice. I had a um one of my coworkers, she was telling me she had a patient over the weekend who brought these little like twinkling lights that they put up and it was just like so nice. And it's like, oh whatever you know, works. That's fine. Love yeah, that. work, right? Whatever's yeah. gonna like help you feel more yeah. relaxed and a bunch of the interviews we've done and around like how important it is for you to feel so important. Way, yeah. So. And, and that's another thing too, is the hospital can be a very, um, cold atmosphere, not in te- sometimes in temperature, but just, it's not your, it's not your bed, you know, it's not your room. It's not your bedroom. So anything that you can do to bring to the hospital, that's going to make you feel more at home. We encourage as long as it's safe, you know, you're not plugging in like a hot, griddle or something, you know, like something like that's going to catch anything on fire. Um, so, so yeah, I encourage like bring your own pillow. If you, you know, if you want your own pillow there, any kind of like blankets or anything that makes you feel like wear your own gown. If that, if you feel more comfortable, Mm -hmm. I wore my own clothes, um, during, I'm thinking, did I do, I know I did it with my second one. Cause I have pictures, but my first one, I'm like, I feel like I was naked. Uh, yeah, I was naked. <laughs> I for my first one. That, that was an that that was an option. I figured like you had to wear the clothes yeah. at the hospital. So yeah. I thought I didn't know that was my first. And then second, I was like, great. Like, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I wore a gown. Anything yeah. to make you more comfortable. <laughs> totally kidding. Totally. <laughs> um, so okay, and then I, I okay, so you clearly are a dream nurse, like the all everything Thanks. you're saying and and like Nikki said at the beginning, like you walk in and it's like, oh, you hit the jackpot with this nurse here <laughs> because um clearly you're you know well versed in all of these things, but very patient and 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 just how you're you put out there on Thank Instagram. You. I mean, it's just it's awesome. So there I unfortunately I don't think every nurse is like you and and a lot of no, people have like stories of, you know, their challenges with their nurses. And yeah. basically, I mean, how we put it in our question is how do you deal with a bitchy nurse? Yeah. 
Yeah. Cause they do exist. Um, and I don't work with very many of them, but they, but they do exist. Uh, so bitchy nurses. Yeah. So usually what I tell moms is if you, you know, this is what I say in my birth course, if you come into the hospital or wherever you decide to deliver and you don't feel like you're being taken care of properly, um, speak up about it. Don't just, you know, sit there and, and say, Oh, well, this is my fate. You know, I got this nurse and we don't really drive. It's okay to speak up. Um, if you feel like things just aren't, you know, you just aren't driving. Okay. Because a lot of times, unless you're at a very small hospital and it's very busy and like, there's no way to change up assignments or anything. A lot of times, if you find that you have a nurse that you're not really driving with, you can get assigned a different nurse, or it might be, you know, maybe it's 6 PM and we do shift change in an hour and you say, okay, well, I'm going to have to, you know, shift change in an hour and get a new nurse. Um, I also advise people to speak with a charge nurse too, because most charge nurses are not bitchy. Most of them are not, most of them are, you know, they have the authority of charge nurse because they are not bitchy. They are great nurses who know how to lead and know how to handle all, you know, sorts of situations and patients and everything. So what I usually say is if you're feeling this way, speak with the charge nurse, see what's going on. Sometimes it's just like a miscommunication kind of thing. Like the patient, like they, like the nurse said something and the patient didn't, you know, took it a different way. And it just kind of needs to, like, we all need to kind of like air it out and then everything's fine. And, and the nurse can continue to take care of her. Sometimes I've had this hat, like you're just having a bad day as a nurse, like we're all human. And sometimes your nurse, I don't know, maybe she got really bad news before that shift or something. And she's just in a bad mood and not saying that that is something that is like, okay, by any means, but like, like I said, we're all human. We all have really, you know, bad day. Maybe she did some, something happened and maybe she's just, you know, maybe she, just, maybe she needs to go home and, and not be, you know, at work that day. So I, I would encourage you to talk it out. Okay. With the charge nurse, talk it out with the nurse, see what's going on. And if you, if it's deemed that, you know, you need to change assignments and see if that's a possibility. A lot of times what I tell people too, is if like, sometimes there are certain nurses who are a little bit better fit for certain patients. So if you're trying to go unmedicated and you're in triage, let's say, and you're getting assigned to a nurse, um, most charge nurses know this and they say, okay, this nurse, they should probably pair this patient up with this nurse and this patient up with this nurse, but sometimes there's not that awareness. So if you really, you know, are not feeling well taken care of, and maybe shift changes coming up, maybe you say, is there a nurse that has some, has some experience, not, you know, say better experience, but is there a nurse that has some experience with unmedicated deliveries? This is, you know, a really big goal of mine. And I would really like to, you know, see if there's someone available. So that's a good question to ask. Um, you can do the same thing if you're planning on, on getting an epidural. I, I mean, it's, we can, I'm, I'm a, like I said, big fan of just talking it out. Let's get it all out there in the open. We want you to be taken care of like to our best ability. And we want you to feel comfortable in, you know, whomever's taking care of you. So yeah, definitely took it, talk it out. And then the other advice that I have, um, in terms of like, if you're feeling, you know, the other, the other advice in terms of advocacy that I have 
about advocating for yourself too is it's it also goes back on you too. So there's a difference between advocacy and saying, you know, maybe your nurse says, oh, you know, let's put you back on the monitor. And you say, oh, do I, you know, do I really need to go back on the monitor? It's only been, you know, a little while and like, you know, wasn't baby doing okay? Like, I know we were trying to do this intermittent monitoring thing, like asking questions like that. So there's a difference between that response and saying, screw you. I'm not getting back on the monitor. You can't tell me what to do. I'm standing up and I will let you know when I'm going to go back on the monitor. Like that's a way different conversation. So it, like I said, it, it also goes back to you to be talking to your staff, you know, with respect. And you're obviously, if you're giving respect, you're going to get respect back. Um, that's not to say that we should ever like disrespect you, of course, but um, there's a right way and a respectful way to talk to people. Um, and that's also to say too, I've been in uh, crazy transition lasal mode and said some snippy things. And as almost all of my patients at that point have made a smart, you know, you know, called me a B word or called me anything and said, F you, that's okay. Like, it's fine. (laughs) We don't take that personally. I'm talking about a little bit that it's a little bit different situation. Um, but yeah, definitely going off on that tangent, definitely gotten called a B, a I I can say I can curse, right? Yeah, of course you can. Yeah. (laughs) When you're in transition, anything goes. Like you're you're yes, exactly. I mean, you're saying F you, like I've gotten kicked before. I've gotten (laughs) like, I mean, it's just it happens. But you know what? Like almost all of them, the only patients that I really have a hard time bonding with are the patients that don't after they're done, they don't they don't say they they act that way and they think that that was like appropriate in terms of like, like I've just had some, like just rude, they're just rude, you know, (laughs) like those are the patients, most patients, it's fine. You can, you can say whatever the heck you want to say to me. You can kick me. You can scream at me. You can pull my hair. I don't care. It's fine. I get it. I've been there. I've been through transition. Um, but like 98 point whatever percent of those patients are going to be like just fine afterwards and say, Oh my God, like, whoa, that was rough. <laughs> like, I don't know what that was, but like, that was rough. That's not, you know, in my character. Um, and even if they're not, I'm not, I'm not saying you have to apologize for me or anything, but their mood changes. Sometimes that transition mood, like doesn't change for some patients that I've taken care of. And they're just, they're just special and we just don't mind, but that's okay. We, I still take good care of them. So it's fine. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm hearing this, like, you know, my mom always used to say this growing up, bees flock to honey, not vinegar. Yes. Like, you know, yes. be kind, be respectful, yes. you know, cause that's going to make, I mean, you're human too. I tell my students, I'm like, listen, if you don't be nice, but be firm and be respectful, mm-hmm. but like, yes. don't, you know, a lot of times people can find it hard to find their voice. They can find it hard to speak up, especially if they've experienced a prior traumatic birth totally. or an experience that they didn't want. And it can be really difficult. I think some, for some people, they think advocating for themselves means like, being really aggressive. And it's like, no, it's just about being assertive and sharing, you know, what it is that, you know, I'll, I'll I'll give one example and I feel like it might help, but I remember going into triage and I was already like six centimeters and the, and I was the bright lights, whatever. And from like across the room, she didn't even come over. This was, this was my experience with bitchy nurse. I'll, I'll get to it. She's just like, 
it says on your chart that you need an epidural. And the reason that it said that was because I had had a heart condition and I had met with an anesthesiologist before birth and the SVT and they had said, oh, you know what? We think it might be a good idea for you to get an epidural just to reduce the risk of any SVT arrhythmia happening. But it was optional. It wasn't mandatory. He had said it might be a good idea, but it wasn't. So I I remember she was just like, it says you need an epidural, probably because I was making a lot of loud noises. And, you know, and I just remember being like, it says it's optional. It says it's recommended, but not mandatory. Right. And then right. she kind of hopped off and that was yeah. it. But yeah. I mean, like thinking to myself, I'm like, you didn't even come over to the bed to say hi. You didn't, you just yelled it from across the room. Yeah. Um, but, and I, again, I was nice. I didn't call any names, but that was, my, that's the example that I use when advocating. And then later a new nurse came over and was like, what's your birth plan? And I remember looking her right in the eye and I, kind of was trying to crack a joke. I was like, I'm going to have an orgasmic birth. <laughs> and like, oh. everybody laughed. They were like, okay, you're going to be fine. This is hilarious. And I feel like I probably broke that poor woman's hand. I was squeezing it so hard, but she was, they were so kind and it was, a, and they were so supportive. So yeah, maybe I had one person that was a bit crotchety at the beginning, but my team was amazing. Mm-hmm. We do the two finger rule with um, labor <laughs> patients. So if anybody's grabbing your hand, you do this and then you can squeeze. So we can do it right, right here. You kind of put like your fingers over that, try to squeeze as hard as you possibly uh-huh. can. It's like way easier to tolerate than like right next to each other or like your whole hand. Oh, so yeah. also like people, you know, I'm married, so I have a ring. So like, I never give people this hand, this whole hand, I always give them two fingers Smart. And, and then they still get, and then they still get, you know, or sometimes I give him this whole hand and I just kind of like put my hand, but I never give him this hand with my ring on. That's it. That hurts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it, it hurt. I, I kept, I remember just flailing being like, I need someone's hand. I need, always yeah. needed to hold someone's hand during, and I got poor nurse. I was, I was giving yeah. her. <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, it's, it, it is what it is. Like it is what it is. Totally. At least she had learned the uh, two finger. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to tell Adam like the three, if we have a third, like I got, that's a great tip. He's going to thank you for that one. I'm sure I almost broke his hand off. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. You are amazing. Liesl. Is there anything else that you want to let us know? Tell us a little bit more about what you do and the courses that you offer and all that. Yeah. So you can find me over at mommylabornurse.com. Um, and I'm mostly on Instagram these days. That's where, where I usually hang out. So there's a dot in there. It's at mommy.labornurse because mommy labor nurse was taken, which they're not even anything, but <laughs> mommy.labornurse on Instagram. And then I also have my own podcast, the mommy labor nurse podcast that we're about to hit a hundred episodes in a couple weeks, which is Yay, really congrats. fun. Yeah. It's crazy. Thank you. Um, so we've got the podcast and then, yeah, we also offer birth courses. So we've got birth courses for, um, moms who are looking to go a little bit more natural and medicated. We've got the natural series for them, birth it up the natural series, we've got birth it up the epidural series for moms who are interested absolutely 100% in an epidural. Um, and then we've got birth it up the C-section series. And we, in that one, we go over it. Um, it's for someone who would have like a scheduled C-section coming up. We have, we cover unscheduled C-sections in both of the other birth courses. And then we also, there's a lot of crossover too. So birth it up the epidural series has a whole section called oops, I accidentally went natural. Um, and it, you know, has a bunch of like pain management techniques because sometimes I don't, you know, how many messages I get saying, 
I went way faster than I thought I was going to. And, or my epidural didn't kick in. I'm glad that I read that section, like, and knew some pain management techniques and how to breathe during contractions and stuff. So we cover you there. And then during the natural series, I go over epidurals and other pain pain management techniques, because you never know, you might change your mind and I want you to be prepared for everything. So yeah, over at mommylabornurse.com can, they're all over the front page. So you can click on whatever series you want. Which one's the most popular? Is it the natural, the epidural or the C-section? I think the, well, the natural is just because it's been out the longest. Okay. Right. Yeah. And any final thoughts for, or advice for our listeners? Yeah. So I always say, I mean, I'm all about education here at mommy labor nurse. Um, usually you, you know, what I tell people is like, you think you, if you're scared of going into labor, you're scared of birth. Usually the best thing that you can do is learn more about it. Okay. That's going to usually decrease your anxiety and get you more prepared. We've got a lot of good stuff over at mommy labor nurse. Um, and yeah, I mean, you think like, okay, if I were about to jump out of an airplane, I would want to read, they have you go through a whole dang course before you, I've never jumped out of an airplane, but they have you go through a whole, a whole course. Oh, cool. Uh, they have you go through a whole course. Um, and I'm not saying that jumping out of an airplane is exactly like giving birth, but you want to be a little prepared and know what to expect. So it's always in your best interest to educate yourself, listen to birth stories and go for yourself in the birth world. Um, it's, you know, going to make your, your experience that much more positive. And, you know, we're all about at mommy labor nurse decreasing birth trauma too. I know we bought, you brought up birth trauma earlier, but we've found that the more prepared that you can go into your birth, the more, you know, expectation, not expectations, but the more experiences you've learned about, whether it's, I heard this mom have, you know, this sort of birth story, or I read this somewhere, um, it's going to decrease you, the likelihood that you're going to have birth trauma. So we, um, don't like birth trauma here at mommy labor nurse, and we're all about decreasing it. So yeah. Educate yourself. That's really the best way. That's really the answer to that question. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, I'm sure everyone will be checking out uh, Mommy Labor Nurse. Yeah. And, uh, where you're at. Thanks. Thank you, Lazo. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, follow us on Instagram at WeGoTherePodcast and check out WeGoTherePodcast.com for more info.